Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Yeah, you know, the food nanny has a... I, she's a person you want to meet in person because her voice is so engaging and so enthusiastic and so excited. Exactly. Sounds like you're taking notes here. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, by the way... Um, what the food nanny says is true. Dinner is the most important time of the day, and not only for the food, Linda, for many other things. Absolutely. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We hope all of you listeners did as well. Um, we Wait, had... I'm not done talking about the food nanny yet, and you're trying to move on to Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, you know, food, Thanksgiving, it's all well, the same. that's true. That all fits in. <laughs> but I did want to say that, um, <clears throat> do you mind if I tell our... our uh, our South Sea Island story just one more time, Linda. Hmm. I can't even think what you're going to say. Well, you know, uh, one time we were cruising on a big yacht down oh, in the Caribbean. <laughs> As though we do it every day, right? Right. Like the, one, sure. like the one time in our life. And, uh, in fact, I think, I think I'll even tell the story of how we came to be on that yacht, and then you tell what happens and why I'm thinking of it when I think of the food nanny, okay, and about the importance of the dinner hour. All right. So we had this really beat-up old car. We lived in Washington, D.C., and this thing was so beat up that, you know, it would be just a car you'd never worry about because it was like the worst car anywhere on the road and one of the biggest cars anywhere on the road, a Ford Galaxy. And one of the biggest problems was it did not have reverse. It had no reverse gear, but we didn't mind. I mean, we still drove it around. And One day, a friend of mine, a rich friend, one of the few rich friends I've ever had, a really rich friend, called and said, Hey, my boat's, in, my boat's at Annapolis, my boat. He meant a 72-foot custom sailing yacht with a crew of four, a British crew of four. And he said to me, I just wondered, uh, you know, my crew, British crew, they just need a car to get around for a couple of days while they're here. And I noticed you got that Ford sitting out in front of your house. You don't use it very often. Could I just uh, use it for for this crew to drive around? And I said, sure, why not? So these four British guys promptly drove it to a bar and went on in. And while they were in there, somebody stole the car. <laughs> And I'd that like was to, funny. I'd like to meet whoever stole that car. They must have been crazy, <laughs> and I'd like to have seen them when they first tried to back it up. <laughs> that poor guy, whoever it was that stole that car, didn't get what he thought he was getting. But anyway, here's where's where we're going with it. So this 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 rich guy friend of mine calls and he's so he's so upset. Oh, I just don't know what to tell you. Your car got stolen. Oh, I I, I certainly want to pay for it. How how much is it worth? And Sensing an opportunity, <laughs> I quickly said, well, uh, you just can't even estimate the uh, the sentimental value of that car. I mean, it's just, it's priceless, basically. And, and he responded perfectly. He said, how about if you take my yacht for a week in the Caribbean? And I said, I think that would cover it just about right. <laughs> and he knew you were kidding, but at the same time, it was fun. We had a ball, and we met somebody very interesting, which is I know what you're leading up to. Right. You want to tell it, or shall I? Go ahead. Well, you break in on me, but we're sailing around out there, and we run into, of all things, the sister ship of this ship we were, this yacht we were on. Our yacht, by the way, was called Celestial, 
S-E-A-L-E-S-T-I-A-L. I always thought that was a great name for a yacht. But we look out, and here's this identical uh, sailing yacht. And come to find out, they always make yachts in pairs in the shipyard, and there's only one. It's like every yacht in the world, big yacht, custom yacht, has a twin. And only one, only one twin, and we ran into it right there on the high seas. And we hailed it, and it hailed us, and our crew brought us over to it. And guess who? Who is the the owner and the captain of this other yacht? Graham Kerr, the galloping gourmet, who used to be the most famous chef in the world. And he invited us on board for dinner. And I'll let you tell about the dinner. But I just want to make my point quickly. During the dinner, he lectured us the whole evening about how if families would eat dinner together, there would be no more problems in the world. We'd have world peace. We'd have economic stability. We'd have families that communicate. We wouldn't have any divorce. We'd have parents that raise their kids properly. He went on and on. To him, if, if, if families would have dinner together every night and talk while they're doing it, the world would be a pretty much a perfect place. It would, and we totally agree with that. We've been preaching that ever since. I think before, uh, we did before we met him and after, but it became a little more solidified in our minds about how important the dinner hour is. If the galloping gourmet says it's important, listen, it's really important. <laughs> <laughs> listen up. Listen up, kids. Absolutely. And We're I having have... dinner hour, and you're to be here at the table and sit here for the whole hour. We did used to have dinner hour. We really only did it on Sunday, though. But well, uh, we had a lot to talk about. It was a short hour. Yeah, we had a short hour during the week and then a real hour on Sundays, which really was fun. I think the kids look back on that as one of their best memories. And uh, we did all kinds of things at that dinner hour, um, in quotes. Um, <laughs> on school nights, we played games. We had... Um, Actually, we really felt like we needed to give our kids a little supplement from what they were learning in the public schools. And, um, they needed a lot more education than they were getting in the Salt Lake City public schools, believe me. I mean, no offense to them, but, you know, you have to do what you have to do in the schools, and there are other things that we wanted our children to learn as well. So we decided to use the dinner table as a time to do that, and we had so much fun doing that. Um, well, boy, did we ever. In fact... It's coming back to me now, Linda, as I think about it. it was we, we started out calling it right brain learning because we felt like in the schools, all they were getting was this, you know, what I guess educators call convergent learning where all the kids are supposed to come up with the one right answer and put it on the test and then they'll get a good grade. And, and very little creativity, very little uh, thinking for themselves, very little thinking outside the box. So we... We had it in our minds that our kids at the dinner table would have another little class period, although don't call it that with your kids. If you want to turn them off in a hurry, say, hey, how about we just have more school during the dinner hour? <laughs> exactly. That's not going to work. But games, if you say, all right, we're playing a game, they're in for it, usually. Um, unless they have lots of homework and there may be a little bit of whining. But, you know, if you get it into a routine, they know to expect that and Truly, our kids think back of dinner time, I think, is one of the funnest things that happened at our house. Let me tell you our favorite. Let's each tell our favorite game we played, Linda. My favorite game was actually the speaking game. And that was where, we, you know, you'd call on a person or sometimes they, the kids would call on, you know, somebody would be in charge and whoever they pointed to had to stand up 
right at the table, and give an extemporaneous one minute, a 60-second little speech on whatever subject the moderator said. And it could be something very obscure. It could be uh, the chandelier. Talk for one minute on the chandelier hanging above the table. Or it could be uh, potato bugs. Talk for one minute on those little round potato bugs. And, and you know, the idea was you had to just talk and right away and, and give the most interesting, engaging little speech you could on that subject. And I'm telling you, we had some first-class entertainment around that table. We did. I mean, there were speeches on doorknobs, on thumbs, on uh, things that were really exciting. And I must add that we never did have a chandelier over our table. You were just making that as a, you know. Well, I called it a chandelier. I mean, you know, it was kind of a <laughs> weird-looking light fixture. Oh, well, let's not go into that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what I wanted to say before you tell your favorite thing, Linda, is that, that our, our kids, and I'm not bragging. I never brag about our kids, No, no, I? no, no, no. Never. I'm objective. I'm totally objective. They have become, they became, during because of that, tremendous public speakers. I mean, they are really good, and they sort of egged each other on. Somebody would get good at giving an opening, and, and some, I remember one night somebody said, if you have a good opening and a good close, it's going to be a good speech. And someone else said, you always got to start with a story, and so they'd make up some goofy story. But the point is, practice makes perfect, and speaking extemporaneously, thinking on your feet, come on, that's good stuff. It is good stuff. In fact, we have one son who has declared himself an introvert. He's very quiet and unassuming and so on and doesn't say much in a crowd. But Only boy, you... one out of nine, by the way. The others are right. loud as can be. <laughs> right. We had one really good two-year-old, too, out of those nine. But anyway, <laughs> um, so but if you put that kid, that introvert, in front of a, in a, pot, a pulpit, in front of a microphone, he is awesome. He just takes it and runs. He may be our best speaker. I'll bet I know your favorite dinnertime game, honey bun. Yeah, my favorite one is the similar game. We would give the kids two objects, and we'd say, what is similar about, for example, a telephone and a turtle? And, you know, the older kids would kind of look at us like, you're kidding, right? Are you crazy? Um, This is a trick question, right? There's no real answer to that. But the little five-year-olds, you know, their hands just shut up in the air. You know, they both start with T. Oh, yeah. You know, and then the six-year-old said, oh, they both have rounded surfaces. And then our telephone and a turtle. <laughs> telephone and a turtle. And then, um, and this is before the cell phones too. I mean, the rounded part. But anyway, um, <laughs> so well, some cell phones are rounded. But anyway, um, so then, you know, the the I don't know. I think it was a four-year-old that actually came up with the best answer, and it was. Oh no! Wait a minute, Josh, our introvert said they both don't eat at McDonald's. Yeah. That's true. But then this little one said they would both cease to function if a truck ran over them. <laughs> and, you know, that's all true. They are similar. They're more similar than you think. But it got kids thinking out of the box, thinking about yeah. creative ways to uh, compare things. And, every and I night, think that's helpful. Yeah, every night it would be something different. What's similar about a tree and a snowball or just... Just any, you know, and, and the whole idea, of course, was sort of right brain thinking. Let's. This is not what is the right answer. This is how many right answers can you think of, and 
I think that kind of sort of creative game, playing that at the table, and there's so many others you can do. We had the antonym game and the synonym game, a lot of word games you can play. But it was so much fun, and I think the other thing we always used to work on at the table, if you remember, Linda, is relationships. You know, what? who did you meet today? What did you notice today? Did you see anyone today? Did you talk to anyone you'd never met before today? And just that kind of thing, and just sort of getting a discussion going. And, uh, man, there's nowhere to do it like the dinner table. I mean, it's not the kind of discussion you can just sit a kid down and say, okay, we're going to have a little discussion here about uh, telephones and turtles. I mean, it has to be the atmosphere you can create in your home around the dinner table yep. is fantastic. Now, are we going to send everybody on a guilt trip, Linda, by saying you should have dinner with your kids around the table every single night? You know what? They do that in South America. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. not much in North America. It is getting harder and harder. I mean, actually, we look at our homes sometimes as just for refueling. You just refuel and run on to the next thing and on to the soccer practice and on to the piano lessons and all that stuff. So I think I think with three, we felt really good if we could get our kids around the table three times a week. But you know that was that was great. I mean sometimes it, not even that, but usually I think we figured out three times a week that we could all sit around together and talk. It depends on the ages of your kids. You know it's easier to do when your kids are little. It's harder when you have teenagers and they have so many commitments and so on. But you know what? Um, I love those three words in our family. In our family, we are going to have dinner hour, and we have to do whatever it takes to um, everybody be there on these certain nights. And, and, of course, you know the schedule, so you work it around their schedule. But it is so fun to see what they can come up with. I, our daughter now has kind of carried this on in, her, in their family, but they do it just a little different. She asks her kids every night at dinner, she and her husband, what did you learn today? Because, you know, if you sit around the table and say, how was school, they'll just say, fine. You know, they'll, yeah, well, fine, exactly. fine. But if you ask a specific question that requires a lot of words to answer, like, what did you learn today? And the other thing they always ask is, who did you help today? Yes, that's And a great so question. they're looking for people they can help, and they're taking note of things that they have learned because they know there's accountability for it at the dinner table. Now, you know, Linda, lots of families do it in different ways. Certainly our way is not the only way to have a good dinner experience. But I will agree with the food nanny. P- families... You know, there's this wonderful saying at the start of uh, the, the the book Anna Karenina. And it says, "All unhappy families are unhappy in their own unique way. All happy families are the same." And there's been a lot of speculation about what in the world does that really mean. But I really, I think, I think one thing that that you and I find, Linda, in almost all families that we really admire, they they have some traditions around dinner time. They they spend time as often as they can sitting around a table eating and talking, and it seems. I mean, I'm thinking of our friend uh, Nolan and Margaret Archibald. He's a very successful businessman. He was the CEO of Black and Decker for many many years. And I, I always was intrigued with their family. They they did similar things to us, but they also had a timer, a big timer. And instead of having one individual person do the dishes, 
they had a running contest with themselves as a family how fast from the time dinner ended and the and the buzzer went off on their timer how long did it take for them to completely clean the kitchen and they'd develop different systems they'd each become specialists in certain things and i think their record was something like two minutes and 48 seconds or something and it was a fun thing to do every night and boom it was cleaned up and they were ready for their evening. I am so glad you brought up the clean up part <laughs> because that was not your best suit. But that was, we, we admired that. That's why I was not president life. of Black & Decker. <laughs> yeah, that might be right. But um, it is a good thing to learn how to talk together and also to work together after dinner. It's a great, a great thing for kids to know and to learn, and they do look back on it as one of their best memories. Now, before, so you listeners, go out there and obey the food nanny and have dinner together. Now, we've got to take a little break, Linda. But before we go to the break, I have to say that the dinner on the Galloping Gourmet's yacht was the worst we'd ever had, and he did not cook it. It was a crew, but if you've ever met a rubber chicken, that was it. It was pretty hilarious. Um, so just just so that you know, because you told everyone that I would say, so I had to tell the truth. Okay, but, now you know, we're, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll get around to the title of the show, Ayers on the Road. We'll tell you where we've been this week and what we've been learning from parents here, there, and everywhere. Hey, hey, hey. We were on the road a lot this week. We um, actually drove up to Logan, Utah, where Richard's mother lives. In her 